the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Beyond the Pitch. I'm Juan Arango, and it's a pleasure to be with you each and every week here. As, of course, Phil, Callum, and the rest of the gang, all looking to offer you the best content for football all over the world. All the most interesting stories, all the most relevant stories, and, of course, a couple of personalities and characters that we will find along the way. And today, well, there's a book that I that I was reading the past couple of weeks, and um, I was quite intrigued. And there was a lot, and I even told him when we were speaking about the fact that there was many memories that were jogged back about reading this book and, and, and remembering certain things. I'm like, oh, snap, yeah, this happened. That happened. So, so it was good to go back. It was a trip back down memory lane. And it, it's a great pleasure to have none other than Stephen Brandt on the show. Of course, he's the author of Boca Juniors, A History and Appreciation of Buenos Aires' Most Successful Football Team. So, Steve, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you. First of all, just so people get, get a better understanding, you've been doing this for quite a while. What what got you into saying, hey, you know what, I want to write a book about Boca? Well, I've been threatening to write a book for a guy, I think, since 2009. <laughs> and, I mean, you, you know as well as me, you know well as me, because you've written, that you always think you have that one in you. And I've, I'm on, like, my sixth computer on here, and I had one completely written of something else, and it completely died, so... Yeah. I, when I when I got into this, when I got into writing, my whole view of writing is to find something that nobody had talked about. And mm-hmm. Volca was one of those that I was kind of surprised about because yeah. I mean, my inclination, my looking into it, kind of, ironically through following you for God, I've been following you online for about ten years at this point. Damn, <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of you're kind of like aging yourself right there, man. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let me also put it this way. I'm one of yeah. Phil's first 20 listeners of Beyond the Pitch also. So Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I go back ways. So when I originally looked at this, I'm like, okay, it's easy as an American to do something Eurocentric. Because that's mm-hmm. where when you are our age, and we're not far enough off in age. Yeah. Where we get where you get into the sport here, it's it's the Man U's, the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's, the Liverpool's, the Spanish teams, and maybe maybe PSG, and there's maybe some um, Man City Mercedes. that type of thing. Yeah, but I mean, from what from I was looking around in South America because that's a that's a that part of the sport is not well represented. And when I looked at Boca Juniors, it stunned me because of how no, how well known the club is that there isn't anything English out there. And I figured, well, what the heck? Let me get something out. I didn't expect it to get published or be taken right off the bat. But I was like, well, hell, I'll write it. I'll gather up everything that I can. And most of this was done pre-me getting back into learning Spanish. So it was... Google Translate here, Google Translate there. And that's sketchy at best. Yeah, yeah, for, totally. Yeah. So I, I took yeah, as good. much as I could find. 
let me ask you a question about that because I, I think it's quite fascinating. I mean, the book, the book, as I said, it brings back a lot of memories. It brings back a lot of things that maybe kind of get put, in, you know, in the back burner somewhere. And and one of the things that I always ask people that write books is, what got you inspired to do it? What finally got you inspired to do it? And what do you tell those people that go and say, you know, man? If I can do it, you can do it because because I always find myself like always on the edge of the you know on the edge of the of that springboard about to jump into the water, but at the end I say you know ah uh, maybe not and I'll just turn right back. Well, what do you what how how did what made you finally say you know what I'm gonna do it it's gonna happen and you finally did it. What what was what went through your mind through that whole process? Explain a little bit more because I think that's that's very fascinating to talk to people about. Because of the difficulty, because it's not yeah. something that, you know, you go in and you write, you know, you just start, you know, doodling, scribbling and jotting things down. All of a sudden, oh, here's a book. You know, things do happen yeah. in the process. Yeah. And the, and the strange thing with it is, is that I wanted to get this was originally planned three years ago as to be my swan song walking off into walking off into the sunset going all right, I've written since 2005. I've done the pod for nine years. I'm done. And what got me to get it to the end is that I'm now in my 40s and I'm enjoying this stuff. I'm enjoying the sport far more than I used to. And I figured if I get something out on Boca that's in English, it's going to be one of the first. Now, there's another one coming out in September that's a little bit more in depth. But I wanted to get something out just to say that I've done it so I can look back and say and ironically, so I could put one in my so I could put one on my bookshelf that has my name on it. it it's that the whole thing to say pretty much, hey, author, yeah. I guess, you know, you can say, hey, I wrote a book. I did it. Yeah. Whether whether, you know, it's a New York Times bestseller or if, you know, five or six people read it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's that whole process, because I think that's what fascinates me more than sometimes the book itself. Sometimes the 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 research that goes into, of course, all of that is fascinating in and of itself. But but it's usually that first step, because a lot of great ideas get stuck in that pro in that step, oh, I guess yeah. you could say. I mean, I mean, you can tell me more than that because you've written yeah. way more books than I have. So, so that yeah. d- definitely is an obvious thing. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the original th- the original thought in trying to get a book out there are two totally different things. Is that w- once you finally put your mind to it that you're going to do it and organizing it, it makes it real. And it wasn't really set in stone real until about. This time last year, when I finished the last se- when I finished the last sentence, it was just something I was kicking around on the side and puffing my chest out and wearing various Boca stuff about that. It was like, oh, I actually should get this damn thing done at this point. <laughs> you get wait, get get the thing. I mean, but going back to you more than anything else about about being the author of the book and. And everything else. I mean, there's a certain affinity you have towards Boca. How 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 that happen? I mean, an American guy up in Buffalo, uh, going you know and and writing about a South American team. I mean, how how does that come to be? I mean, tell me a little bit more about I don't know the affinity or the curiosity or, or how how does that idea of Boca come to to play 
from a fan standpoint or from a journalistic standpoint? Well, some of this is a journalistic standpoint. Because when I started this, oh, 2017, there really wasn't anything English-wise yeah. online with it. I mean, because Boca, for all of the good it's done, they don't really cater to the English speakers, which is kind of sad. And now, I mean, I get it. A lot of their legends don't speak English. I mean, Maradona doesn't. I don't think Raquel me does. I nah, think you Tevez, probably speak just as much Chinese as they do English. Yeah, at that point, I know Tevez kind of does, but see, <laughs> is that when I look, when I looked at when I looked at it originally, I was like, you know, it should be done. Also, my dad, since he retired, mm-hmm. likes to spend a month out of the north. Now, this is a guy for seventy-five years has lived in the north and hates mm-hmm. the snow. So once he finally retired, got everything all fingers out of everything where he could go. He decided he wanted to travel to places he's never been, which limits his da- limits him down because he worked in the 80s. So his first step was he went to Argentina. This is 2015. And my dad always go, my dad's always gone on trips and brought us back something, my sister and I, regardless. I mean, he's, he's missed airplanes to get stuff back for us. Well, he was like the <laughs> last... Oh, that one's a story I'll tell you offline one of these days. It, oh, man. <laughs> and so he's leaving Buenos Aires the last day and forgets he doesn't have something for me. Now, he's basically within shot, within um, distance of the of La Bamadera. So he runs into the, runs into the store. Now, my... My dad's taken Spanish on and off since the 50s, so he's pretty fluent. Yeah. So he runs and he goes, my son, no, my my son's the expert of the sport in America. So very big over-exaggeration, but that's my dad. He says, I want to get something for my son that he will like. So he gets this Boca Juniors scarf for me, and he, he tells me as he's walking out, he's looking at the Serena going, this is one of the nicest. It's one of the nicest things I've seen. And he grew up in Chicago. Yeah. And is a, and is a Cubs fan. He he's gone to Wrigley a couple hundred times in his life, and he mm-hmm. was just blown away by Bamadera and all the all the stuff. So he came back with this, and I just started looking in. And then mm-hmm. um, Jonathan Wilson wrote his book about. Um, Angels with Dirty Faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, a very, very good book. Yes, it yeah. was. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, I still consider him the greatest writer in the sport on both sides of the both sides. Well, I loved it. I'm like, why isn't there more? Why isn't there anything on Estudiantes teams? Why isn't there anything on Impendiente? So I looked. And I looked at um, Boca, and when I just typed it in, there was a lot. I was surprised there's not a lot on Raquelme, but. Ever reading about him, it makes sense that he just does not want anything. So I decided I'm just going to write it mm-hmm. and see what I could do, see what I could do with it. I think, I mean, I think that's that's you know quite quite the thing to do because, I mean, to start, I mean, it's it's, it's your first book, it's your first effort. So I mean, why not? Hey, and, and you did it, you enjoyed it. It's it's a very good book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm saying it not because you're on the show. Or, I mean, yeah. I've told you personally, hey, you know, yeah. I like this. I I, I like that. Uh, it, it's a very good book for 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 fans to read. 
Yeah. Um, but what was what was the one thing that you learned in that book while doing all the research? You're like, damn, I didn't know that, or, or, or damn, I didn't know such and such a player was so big, or I didn't know this was a tradition, or I didn't know how big things were. I mean, like like something that left you like a gas, or something that left you just you know incredibly amazed at at, at the mystique or at the history of the club. Well, it's the one thing with the history of the club was fascinating because. I am a his. One of my degrees is in history, so that's yeah. my bent. And you've seen my you've seen my writing online since 2005. That's where I go. Mm-hmm. Is it surprisingly that the essence of the sport in Argentina is Scottish? It's Scottish, and what, what came about with what Boca was is from Italy. So I mean, I you just get this inherent thought because it's how we're taught is that everything is British. Everything in the world's always been British. And they're the evil, evil, nasty people in this world. But when I dug further down into, like, um, Alexander, um, oh, I think it's Hat and I, Hamilton, or the guy that started the whole thing, the AFA, is that he's Scottish. And a lot yeah. of the names that you see now, like the guy that came from Brighton, McAllister. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a common name in Bonyasar. Well, it? yeah, I mean, and and his family, of course, his his father, he played played for Boca as well. Yeah, you know, and, and he's and he's the president of the of the I guess the Argent not of the Argentine Olympic Committee, but the, the yeah, well, pretty much um, one one of the people that's in charge of 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 um, you know the sports complex where all the Olympic athletes you know train in Argentina. So I mean, he of course, yeah, McAllister and Newell's old boys and all those types of clubs that that end up you know, coming from English or Scottish descent. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, especially, I mean, especially where it comes down, because I would have thought with just through osmosis since 1902, that those names and those families would be worked out of just the rhythm of how people go through. But no, I mean, one of the early settlers that have come through was the Brown family, and they're still in the... um Argentine FA. I mean, that's they're still in the league down there. So I mean, that just make that just makes it fun. I mean, looking at the early parts of the game of the sport now are the easiest because we're getting so drilled with the sport from the '60s on up. It's like every article you read online nowadays is let's talk about let's talk about um, Bill Shankly's one guy he brought in or when he tried to transfer in um, this player, it's like, we don't need to know that. Keep going back further. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, at times we do get saturated with that type of information, but when you start going back into the fifties and sixties and four, or excuse me, fifties, forties and, and beyond that, then you start to realize part of the DNA of a club yeah. or, or, or part of, of why, a club is deemed in such a, in such a light. I mean, did you, did you also see that? I mean, at least I I've seen it more, I guess, having lived there, that there, there's certain things that have kind of changed as well. You, you don't see no longer that Boca are the poor man's team. No river is the rich people's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's that type of, uh, chasm that there was back then. I mean, was that something that also was, was, was kind of you know, eye-raising from your perspective, seeing, hey, you know, it's not really all that it's meant to be. There's another dynamic in it. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these clubs came out of being for the neighborhood. I mean, that's originally mm-hmm. before the game exploded. 
that's how you got people in. And you're really saturated with that. And I mean, I can I can see that it was with all like all the nicknames that Reaver fans call re, call Boca fans and vice versa. Yeah, you can get that kind of town edge, but that that's with everything. I mean, I that's even with the Scottish teams with the. I mean, you can even look all over the world with that. I mean, you can probably look at um, Uruguay with it. Is that that's just how it goes. And as, as Boca has been able to reach out, keep pulling, putting their stuff out there more and more and more people. I mean, think about it. we have we have a former Newcastle midfielder living in Fort Lauderdale that speaks very highly of Boca. He never played for them. I got, I got a story for you about that. But go ahead, go ahead keep going, keep going. Yeah. And, I mean, you get to think about how big things are with this. Yeah. Is that, and when you commercialize the sport as well, and obviously when they, every time you sell a player, because obviously the big teams come over and just set up shop in South America and just, oh, you, you're you 12 years old, you're ours. I mean, that's how, that's how Messi left. That's how Messi left is that that's how they get. That's why nobody's really poor anymore to a point. I think COVID's going to really make the sport go back about 20 years and set it back to normal. But this is it makes the clubs feel less commercialized when you read mm-hmm. about the history. Yeah. It was good. I mean, I, I like you mentioned that point about about COVID. I mean, you said about 20 years. Are you talking about 20 years, the game in general? I'm talking about worldwide. Are you, are you talking about are you talking about South America in general? That, that no, I'm saying to... the world. I'm saying the world, saying it worldwide because mm-hmm. we, we, we're going to not be able to. I mean, there's not many people that are going to be able to buy out their contract for 220 million and become a fashion fashionista in Paris. Yeah, or you're not gonna you're not gonna find someone that's gonna become a golfer in Madrid for what two hundred and thirty million. It's just that's not gonna be able to happen anymore. I mean, yes, you've got a lot of money in some of these teams, but what this has shown is how precarious everything is. I mean, we're a transfer market away from Barcelona being basically leads. Yeah, I mean, basically. That's <laughs> the point. They are. Yeah, I mean it's 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 part of the reality, and and but but do you see that more amplified in South America? Because of course, yeah, you talked about it. You know, 13, 14, 16 year old kids that many of them, of course, haven't even stepped on a pitch for a first division match, and they're already being sold to European sides. Do you think that that also has a lot to do with it? I mean, based on what you've seen, I mean, there's some players that never even played. I mean, well, for starters, Messi. Uh, you start talking about Mauri Cardi. Uh, even in Brazil, you have a, a few players that never played in Brazil as well. And, and in Colombia, well, we can talk about five or six of them as well. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, do, do you see that being more of the reality and more amplified in a South American context? Yeah, because, I mean, think about how many people, I mean, Artur played, what, maybe five games with Flamengo before he was he was bought. Rodrigo is about the same thing. Is that you're going to see that, and I hopefully with COVID collapsing things, that some of the players that are actually good are going to stay. You're not going to have many Christian Pavons who are going to be loaned out to MLS until he doesn't want to come back to the country. 
is you're, you're going to you're going to be able to start keeping some more selectively now. Those all those once in a generation kids are still going to go. I mean, the Stefano went. You, I mean, you had everybody. Everybody went eventually over. Of course, overseas. I mean, that you all. Some do come back. I mean, Bad Astuta went and then came back, and Deborah Kelmy came back, what, two or three times? So, yeah. We're here with Stephen Brandt on Beyond the Pitch. Steve, Stephen, look, um, in your research of, of this book, was there one player? I mean, we all know the Riquelmes, the Batistutas, yeah. Tevez, et cetera, et cetera. But was there one player that you said, damn, you know what? I didn't know that much about him, and you came out just admiring or becoming a fan of that player from from a from a literary standpoint? Yeah, it was the early 60s and 70s, guys. The Roberto Soon, the Amritan, the Marzellinis, those type of players that really never went, that were just yeah. one club, club players that lived and went. And then sometimes came back and had a year as a manager, but never left. The, the kind of I'm not going to say cult football, but the down and dirty, like Hugo Gotti, could have gone over completely and been probably a legend overseas in, in Europe when he while he was could have gone over, but yeah. yet he's still still good over there. I mean, you've got the you've got the Reaver goalies of that time that could have could have popped over, but I mean, it, it's it's those 70s and 80s teams that were really good when they were started winning the Libertadores early where yeah. they were just plucking one, two, three and, and just winning because you, you knew you weren't going to get the best teams from Europe because that one had gone out the door in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that that, that, <laughs> that ended up being some sort of MMA, you know, if if you want to talk about it, early iterations of of uh, mixed martial arts. I mean, that was the Intercontinental Cup back in the 1960s. So <laughs> that's absolutely it. I mean, but but well, there, I mean, you talk about players like Sunye, like like um, like Gatti. I mean, Gatti was just such a showman. I mean, oh. the, the 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 legends of him. Um, you know, when fans were booing him, he'd go and, and grab his broom and start sweeping around his goal area, you know, oh, yeah. dribbling out of the area. You, I mean, obviously, uh, on the river end, you start hearing a lot about Amadeo Carrizo, who just died a few months ago um, at 93, 94 years of age. Many of you hear today, oh, yeah, you know, Manuel Neuer and this. I'm like, I mean, you should start re- reading about Amadeo Carrizo and what he was doing back in the 1940s and 1950s. And you, yeah. then you, you give people a better perspective of how the game ha- has evolved or devolved in certain stages and, and ends up having the game get to where it is at this point in 2020. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, things come in cycles in this sport. Yeah. I mean, you, we're never going to see the the WM formation. We're not going to see the 5-2. That's never going to happen again. But certain aspects of the sport, you're going to see – People will pull things up because you've got some really smart managers out there that have really studied the game mm-hmm. that have in-depth knowledge. Like Pep Guardiola just brought over for his um, assistant manager, so the guy who coached him in Mexico. Well, Malillo, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, so a guy with that name of his stature, Pep doesn't really have to go far to find someone. I mean, he could probably find someone from Spain and bring him over, but brought something that most um, Euro snobs aren't going to know about, so... <laughs> That's, yeah, that's and, and it's funny because is, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Ron. No, no, no. Go ahead. 
No, see, that's the thing I was talking about is that for every one great manager you could talk about that has come through like Spain or France or England, you could talk about a Bonacci, a Bonacci, a Lorenzo. God, how many, how many great ones Reavers had inter, um, international in um, Brazil's head. I mean, you could do a top hundred of coaches and not do anybody that's come from overseas easily. Yeah, you could. You could. I mean, you literally could. I mean, it's 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 interesting you mention that because you you talk about the different coaching and the coaching styles and and all the different uh, football minds and, and you talk about Guardiola and Juan Malillo. Of course, even Guardiola himself said you know that that he was his biggest mentor. So in in a way, he's bringing his mentor to come work with him over at City. So it, it ends up being kind of a full circle for Lillo, who, if you talk about if you talk to people in, in Colombia, they're not too fond of him. Um, if you talk to people that that saw him in Mexico briefly, not too fond of him. But I, I guess from a theoretical standpoint, you have those individuals that can, you know, that if they were a college professor, they're a great theory teacher. But as mm-hmm. far as practice, maybe not the greatest. But but you know, if if you want to get into the theoretical aspects of football, he's probably one of the best professors you can possibly have. Oh yeah, I mean, especially as especially when you look into some of those like theoretical ones. I mean, yeah. as much junk as we give Mer- uh, Mourinho, look at what his father did in Portugal in the sixties and seventies. He was a heck of a manager there too. So there's some people that don't have the large name in the sport, but have had so many so much effect of it and that's kind of what Bonacci was for me is when I looked about it because I kind of had known about him because obviously as an American he looks like Larry David so those stupid memes are popping up every three weeks online but looking into how he just he just mowed through the early 2000s and then slowly came back one more time and got more wins of course, and, and remember what he did over at Vélez before that. Bianchi yeah. was, Bianchi was just you know a coach that just was you know one of the most dominant and, and still considered one of the greatest coaches in, in Argentine football. He wasn't too successful at Roma. He wasn't too successful at Atleti, but still, what he was able to do over over at Boca and Vélez, it's, it's still it's still remembered to this day. I mean, oh, and as a player over at PSG as well, but still, yeah. he's you know Bianchi in, in terms of that. He's he's one of those coaches that just had the personality. He had, I guess, he had all the ingredients of it. I, I guess. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong based on your analysis. But you saw a coach that understood what needed to be done on the pitch. He understood how to man manage, but he also had all that, all those pieces that were necessary to be a big winning coach at those particular times. Oh yeah, exactly. But the the only thing that's holding holding back the athletic years. Is that they had a screwy owner at that point that oh, you, yeah, could, yeah. you could have put Christ in there at that time and nobody would have come out at Letty at that time. Well, it, yeah. it wasn't really fortunate until they brought Argonis back the last time. Where they did, did you were, did you see did you see the documentary on him? Uh, his no. Oh my god! <laughs> that, I, you, what I what the little I've read on that guy, I'm like, oh, 
there should be a 30, 30 in English on that. Guy. Oh, oh, no, there should be. The guy, the guy, I mean, it, it's just absolutely crazy. It, and well, and, and Gil Cerezo, too, uh, or Gil Manzano, excuse me, uh, his son that eventually, eventually took over wasn't that far away. The apple wasn't too far away from the tree, I guess we could say. Right. But but still, when, when you start to see, you know, when, when, when the new ownership comes in finally and starts taking over this club, I mean, it obviously was one of the steps that needed to be made. But, but again, going back with you, Stephen, what, what was where was this? What did you learn most about Boca? Where, where, what is what is it that fans can learn most? I'm talking about everybody from the casual fan all the way yeah. to to you know the hardcore fan. Basically, you. Yeah. No, I well, I mean, well, I'm, I'm not I'm not hanging on the you know. Well, there's no more fencing anymore at the stadium, but still, if there was fencing, I, I'm not one of those hanging on there. So I guess you can't consider me on that end of the spectrum. But but I mean, what would what would you what would you say? Hey, you know, I, I think you'll you'll learn this. You'll get a better affinity or, or a better appreciation for it, for what is not only just Boca but Argentine football, South American football in general. That, that the spirit isn't lost in the sport. That's the one thing I hate. Well, football is gone. No, it's not. Is that places like Boca that are still relying on the street and the people around them and the scouting networks, where they don't have the bazillions of dollars in their academy to go and get players. They have to rely on nurturing them. Is That's the real fun of it. Now, of course, you don't want to send the stands in most Boca matches because that's a little that's not that not yeah. fun, but <laughs> it's it's the it's it's the real fun part of the game. For every Liverpool match or PSG match, there's Boca there's South American matches that may not be aesthetically pleasing, but are the true what the sport is really meant to be. And that's what Boca in Argentina is. And that's why us Americans really need to start watching South of the Border. I, I agree, and, and and I've been talking about that for a while. So I appreciate I appreciate that, and hopefully, yeah. hopefully we can start seeing it more often because uh, you know <laughs> we're waiting for for the leagues. Well, Mexico's already looking to get started. Costa Rica's already underway. Nicaragua's in break. Waiting for South America to get started. See which one goes first. Steve, Stephen, where can people find your book? Where can people find your 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 publication and get it? And how can they be more active with you? Have a conversation online. Oh, well, the book is out on October first with in pretty much everywhere. It's gonna be it's gonna be in Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. It's gonna be on the on my publisher store and mascots. Um, I'm online. I'm on both. Inter- I'm both on Facebook and Twitter. I have got four or five accounts for either. Um, it's my name, Stephen C. Brandt. Look it up. There's a picture. You'll find me if you're a Boca fan. It's it's a picture of Raquel me, of course, mm-hmm. as there. And I'm always open to talk to people. I mean, I haven't done a pod for nine years at this point. I'll talk. I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to anybody in the sport. As long as you don't hit the two two teams that will be remain nameless in the sport, so. <laughs> okay, sounds cool, man. And, and, and oh well, oh, I was going to tell you about the story. Um, oh man, it, it was great because actually I, I was I was not, not I didn't do commentary with this person, but but I actually 
was part of the commentary team whenever I go down to South America to do matches for 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 Copa Lib and Copa Sudamericana um, with uh, with Mago Capria with Ruben Capria, who great brilliant midfielder from yesteryear played at Racing and of course made him had a great presence in Europe as well briefly, but it was still very impactful. And and uh, I remember one day before I even met Ruben in, in person. I used to work with Ray Hudson, of course, and Ray was telling me one day he's like, "Ah, Frank Gerard, and uh, you know, and and oh, uh, and, and you know, Frank Lampard, and Steven Gerard. I don't want any of them. Give me Ruben Capria." And I'm like, "What?" And he was telling me he was telling me how close he was to getting Ruben Capria to, to go play with the Miami Fusion back then, and he was trying to do every what he possibly could in order to bring in Capria. Because he's like, man, the guy is just brilliant. He has has just a supremely brilliant midfielder, and I take him over Lampard and Gerard any day of the week. And <laughs> that 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 makes a lot of sense about um that makes about a Ray, lot of right? sense about Ray, yeah. Because there's always been those those names that have floated around the sport at that time that mm-hmm. you hear have gotten connections. Oh, they might have come over, Mike. Someone get to Ray because I have a feeling he's the one that went over. <laughs> yeah, and then, it's funny when I when I hear people talk about him and say, "Oh, you know what? Uh, oh man, no, he loves Messi. No, no, he loves Ronaldo." And I say, "Guys, no, he loves Raquel, man." Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> he loves I mean, I can tell you. I mean, personally, you know, I mean, obviously. You know, for him, Riquelme is just like, wow, you know, it's just otherworldly. Obviously, Messi has a lot to do with that, but um, but, but for him, it's Riquelme. So, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so there's only two player jerseys I have in the sport. Mm-hmm. I have Stuart Pierce at mm-hmm. Nottingham Forest, and okay. I'm wearing the only other one. I'm wearing the Riquelme um, Boca shirt. Good, man. You're a good man with good taste, so I so I, I admire you for that. Yeah, Stephen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, thank you so much for being on the on the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and best of luck with the book, man. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. Again, thank you very yeah. much and you know, best of luck.